Uh, we want to finish up our series that we've called Sun Stand Still today. Uh, and we've been looking at the Israelites as they come into the promised land, uh, especially in the book of Joshua. And uh, it's pretty amazing to see what God did to bring about uh, the victories that they had. We saw, we've read uh, a couple of these stories. We read about Jericho uh, and how God caused the walls to crumble and the Israelites were able to win this battle pretty much uh, without any uh, fighting happening. Uh, we also saw uh, in the sort of sneak attack that Joshua brought at Gibeon that he cries out to God and says, God, let the sun stand still. And, and God causes the sun to stop moving, uh, which is a miracle in and of itself. Um, and so we, we've seen some pretty amazing things. Uh, and as the Israelites were coming into the promised land, uh, it doesn't take them long to establish themselves. In fact, uh, the three battles that we've read are pretty much the three major battles uh, in the book of Joshua. Uh, chapters 11 through 22 of Joshua kind of just is the mop up. The war is over and they're just kind of mopping up the, the rest of it. And so that's kind of what uh, those chapters take place, happen in them. Uh, it talks about how they defeated these other kings, but they're, we don't learn about the battle. We just, it's just said they defeated them. All right, and so it's like, oh, okay, they just walked in and the king said, we're, we're not worthy of this. And so uh, it just seems like that's what happens. Uh, the rest of uh, Joshua is also the uh, portioning out of the land. This is a big land. Uh, there's 12 tribes, uh, and so they had to decide who gets what uh, and, and that type of stuff. And so most of Joshua 11 through 22 is that. If you really want to read it, feel free to read it. All right, we're just not going to read it here uh, right now. All right, and so that kind of brings us to Joshua 23, another chapter that we're not necessarily going to read, but it's a good chapter. If you skip the rest, chapters 11 to 22, feel free to do that, but don't skip chapter 23. 23 is a pretty uh, good chapter. Uh, it's basically Joshua coming to the leaders of Israel and giving a farewell speech to them. All right, Joshua... He was pretty old when they entered into the promised land. All right, he was with Moses uh, as Moses was on Mount Sinai. He was kind of uh, helping Moses out in different ways then. Uh, he was one of only two guys that were above the age of 20 that were allowed to enter the promised land. Uh, and that's uh, above the age of 20 during the exodus of Egypt. Right, and so him and Caleb, they were the only guys that were allowed to enter the promised land. And so he's, he was pretty old to begin with. And now that the conquest has taken place, he's really old, it says. And, and it doesn't tell us exactly uh, in, in chapter 23, uh, but it says that he's very, very old in age. And so he's coming together, gathers the leaders. Uh, and if you read Joshua 23 and you read Joshua chapter 1, uh, you see some pretty fascinating things. Uh, one of the things that, that you see is that Joshua kind of reiterates what God told him. In, in Joshua chapter 1, uh, we have God coming to Joshua and saying, You are the leader, and jo God says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. And he says it over and over again, be strong and very courageous, be very strong and very courageous. And he's trying to encourage Joshua to do what needs to be done. And then we get to Joshua 23 at the end of Joshua's life, and he's looking at the leaders and he says these same words, be strong and courageous. 
And what I think we can learn from Joshua 23, just very briefly, is this, that as we get older in age, as we start to see the next generation step up and be leaders, not just in the church, but in the community, then we as former leaders need to be willing to impart our knowledge to them. All right, we've made a lot of mistakes in our lives. And we've learned from those mistakes, and we should be taking what we've learned and giving to that next generation so that they don't have to make the same mistakes. And I think that's what we kind of see when Joshua is saying these same things that he's learned in his life to this next generation who's going to have to take the leadership reins. And so we have to be willing to to give that knowledge uh, to that next generation. At the same time, the next generation has to listen, right? Uh, They have to be willing to have open and like, okay, I understand what you're saying. All right, and so those are the things that we get from that. Uh, the main text that we want to kind of study today is Joshua chapter uh, 24. This is my uh, favorite chapter in the book of Joshua. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we invite you to open them up to Joshua 24. We're going to start in verse 1 uh, today, and we're going to kind of see what uh, Joshua has to say to all of Israel, not just to the leaders. And so here's what happens. Uh, verse 1. Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He uh, summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and the officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And so what we kind of see is in Joshua 23, he's just talking to the leaders, and he's saying, you guys, you guys have a role to play now. And now in Joshua 24, he's going to gather all of Israel, all the tribes, to this place called Shechem. Uh, Shechem is a very interesting town. Uh, it has a lot to, to do in the early part of Israel's history, and the later part it kind of disappears. Uh, we were talking about the woman of the well today. Uh, that probably was somewhere near Shechem. All right, it, it, That's kind of the city that that probably took place in. All right, and so Shechem, uh, it is the place where when Abraham first came to Canaan, that God says, this land that you see, it is going to be all right, and so the promise of the promised land all right, takes place at Shechem. And so I think it's fitting that Joshua calls all of Israel back to Shechem uh, to kind of you know, say, look, the promise has been fulfilled. All right, God promised it here, and now God has fulfilled this promise in the same place. So it's kind of a fitting uh, thing to see happening. And Joshua, he has all of Israel come, and then he's not, I mean, he's, he's pretty old. I mean, he's going to not necessarily shout out to all of Israel. So he just calls uh, the, the leaders and the elders and, and all the, the, the people that are in charge to come and so that they can talk and they can be representative by all of Israel that are at this place. And what we see in the next 12 verses, we're not going to read them, but it's essentially God using Joshua as a mouthpiece and God reminding the Israelites of everything that he has done for them. So we want to kind of recap that. God doesn't start in Egypt. God starts about the time before when the Israelites' ancestors were living in the rivers beyond the Euphrates, in the lands beyond the Euphrates River. And he says, remember, there was a time that you guys lived beyond the Euphrates. And when you lived there, you worshipped other gods, not me, not Yahweh God. So remember that. And out of this, I called Abraham, your ancestor, to come to the place that I would show him. And that's here. You look around, you're finally here. 
Right? This land belongs to you. Right? I promised that to Abraham. I promised this land to his son Isaac and to Isaac's son Jacob. But before they took the land, Jacob took his children to Egypt. And God says, remember that when he did that, they became slaves. And in the midst of the slavery, I called Moses. I heard your distress, and I called Moses to bring you out. And he recounts the ten plagues that helped bring them out, the devastation that happened. Uh, he recounts how they got to the Red Sea, and as the Egyptian army was bearing down upon him, he provided a way of escape by parting the Red Sea, and that he also destroyed the Egyptian army that chased after them by unparting the Red Sea. Right, and he was reminding of this. He, he mentions the wilderness. You were there for 40 40 uh, years. Uh, he mentions how uh, they conquered the lands east of the Jordan River. He mentions how they crossed the Jordan River and went into Jericho and defeated Jericho. And he reminds them of all that he's done through this conquest. And he sums it all up in verse 13. And we read this in verse 13. It says that I, God speaking, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And essentially what God is doing in recapping all of this is he's reminding them of how he has treated them. He's reminding them of the goodness that he has given them. There is no reason why he should have chosen Abraham. There's no reason why he really should brought them out of Egypt. And one, during the wilderness, there's a lot of reasons why he shouldn't have continued to bless them. All right? They constantly were turning away from him. And yet, throughout that all, God continued to look upon them with goodness. And from the entire time that he chose Abe, all the way to the miracles in Egypt, all the way to the promised land, we see that our God is good. And our God is uh, he wants to bless his children. And so what I want to kind of ask us today is this, is when we look at a reflection of our own lives, do we see the blessings that God has given us? See, a lot of times I feel like we're so focused about what's happening to us now. We're so worried about the bad things that are going on in our lives, and we're so worried about what tomorrow is going to bring that we don't ever stop and see what God has done for us in our past. We tend to not focus about everything that God has done before us that has led us to this point. And I think we need to. And I think there's a reason why God is reminding them of these things. He's reminding them because He has taken care of them. And I know that in my own lives, when I stop and look at everything that God has done, I realize how blessed He has given me things. How blessed he has blessed me with. And I'm grateful for those things. And so we should stop and we should consider what God has done in our lives. Well, God reminds them for reasons, okay? And, and he's going to ask a question in verse 14. So let's read that question. He says this, he, or he's a command, it's not really a question. He says, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates River in, in, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. All right, so he's going to say, look at everything that I've done for you, and now I have some things that I want you to do for me. And the first thing is, you need to fear the Lord. 
Uh, fear in the Old Testament is a form of worship, okay? So what he's really saying here is worship the Lord and serve Him only. Now, it seems, based off of these verses, that the Israelites have idols from even beyond the Euphrates River. All right? It's been a long time since they've been there, and yet they still are worshiping gods from that long time ago. See, God, uh, the Israelites, they were very good at picking up customs of wherever they were. You know, they were nomadic in many ways, and so they traveled from place to place. And throughout Even the time of Abraham, they traveled, and as they were traveling, they were picking up the customs, and in particular, the idols that those people worshipped. All right, so they were, they, when they were in Euphrates, they had idols. And as they were coming to the promised land, they kept those idols, even though they knew about Yahweh God and wanted to worship Him. Maybe not necessarily Abraham, but definitely his servants were having idols. Then you have Isaac and Jacob and, and, and Jacob's wife. All right, that's a whole other story. All right, and so then they come into Egypt and they pick up the gods of the Egyptians and they're traveling in the wilderness and there's a lot of different people groups in the wilderness that they come in contact with and they've just picked up idols along the way. And so God is asking this question as he's recapping. It's an unasked question, but it's there, I think. Look at everything that I have done for you. All right, all these things, all the way from, from the Euphrates River until now. And then you need to ask this question, what has your idols done for you in that same period of time? And he's asking, he's reminding them because he wants them to concentrate on this. I, I have a task for you. And the task is that you fear the Lord, worship me, and cast away your idols. See, idols were not something that they were supposed to be worshiping. And when they got to the Mount Sinai, Moses came down with two commandments, and one of those commandments was, have no other God before me. There wasn't supposed to be anything that they were to be worshiping besides God alone, but because of the fickleness of who they were, they had these other gods. Joshua uh, continues in verse 15 with this question. He says, If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether it is uh, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, or me. And Joshua says, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so God really gives them this choice. And it's a choice that we have as well. You know, it's a choice that, that we really need to contemplate when we look at our lives and all that God has blessed us. And then we look at all the ways that the idols have blessed us or not. We have a choice to make. Whom are you going to serve? And I think in these two verses, we see this final aspect of God that I want us to focus on. And it's the fact that our God is a jealous God. A lot of times when we hear the word jealous, we think of the negative connotation, right? 
We think of that boyfriend who, who won't let his girlfriend talk to anybody, especially boys, or, or the one that uh, doesn't let her go out without wearing the proper thing or, or whatever. You know, that's jealousy, right? And we oftentimes think of that when we hear this word jealousy. Well, there's actually a second definition, and I think it's a good definition, a good connotation. And it's this jealousy for things that belong to you. So imagine, if you will, that you just bought a brand new car. And you spent the thousands of dollars on that brand new car, right? And, and you uh, have it, and you really don't want anybody to touch it, right? You don't want them to come along with their keys and scratch your car. That would be bad, right? Uh, if you're driving, you know, you probably don't want people eating in the back seat and definitely not spilling that Coke on the, on the car ride, right? You're jealous for that house or for that car. Or, or think of your house, you know, you just spent hours cleaning it. You wouldn't want someone to come into the house and trash it. I, I know my wife would probably kill whoever did that, right? especially if she spent hours cleaning it. I mean, you're jealous for your house. Right? And this is the connotation of what God is when we're talking about God being a jealous God. God has a people that is his very own possession. And when we're talking about him being a jealous God, it's this understanding that God has this people group that's his, and he's expecting them to serve him and him alone. And it's only right that we do that. And so when God looks at the Israelites and he sees that, that they are not just serving him, that they have idols hidden in their houses, he is upset about that. And he says, you guys have to choose who you're going to serve. If you don't want to serve me, it's fine. But all these blessings that I've given you, they're not going to be yours anymore. And you're going to have to rely on your idols and what they've done for you, which is nothing. But if you want to serve me, you have to get rid of the idols in your lives. We don't really have little idols in our houses anymore, do we? I mean, if I walked into your house and looked on your fireplace mantle, you probably don't have an idol sitting there, do you? I'd hope not. If, if so, then maybe the, us and the elders need to come talk to you. But most times we don't have these little graven images, but we still have idols. The very last verse of James, or, or 1 John says this, it says, children, dear children, abstain from idols. I mean, a very simple verse, but when you read the context of what James is talking about in that last chapter, or 1 John, uh, John's on that last chapter, is he's talking about anything that takes us away from God. So what in our lives distracts us from God? Ken Eilman wrote a book called God's at War, and one of the things that he talks about are these different things that are gods in our lives that take us away from serving God. He said sometimes it's pleasure, and that pleasure can come in many forms. For some of us, it's what we're eating, right? We take pleasure in the food, and we just eat and eat and eat because we need that. For others, it's sex and pornography. And we need pleasure from those aspects. He talks about uh, not just pleasure, but power. He says a lot of times people want power either through money or through social status, and they do various things to get power so they have power over people's lives. Is your God power? The last thing he says is, is love is a God. 
And sometimes, not necessarily uh, in the way we think of love, but maybe in the way we love our family. You know, will we do anything for our family? Will we skip church for our family? I mean, what, what do we do that takes us away from God? Is our family part of that? And he says, the biggest one is yourself. Do you love yourself to the point that you don't care who you hurt as long as you're happy? What are your idols? What are your gods that you worship besides the Lord God? Anything that takes us from God is an idol. And in our lives, we probably have lots of idols that we bow down to. Yes, they're not these things on the mantle. Yes, they aren't these things that we go into our closet and we worship. But we have them. And what I think Joshua is asking, not just to the Israelites, but to us, is this question. Choose who you're going to serve. These gods in the past, and and just look at your life. What have they done for you? Or Yahweh God. And look at your life and see how he's blessed you. Choose who you're going to serve. The Israelites, they decide to choose in verse 16. We read that they say uh, to Joshua, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us up and our parents out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed the great signs before our eyes. He protected us the entire journey among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us uh, the nations, including the Amorites who lived in this land. We too will serve the Lord because He is our God. And the Israelites look at everything that God has done, and, and a lot of these guys, they probably were children uh, as they were coming out of Egypt under the age of 20, and they witnessed that, but and more importantly, they remember what God has done recently with Jericho, with Ai, with Gibeon, and with all of the lands in the, which they now live. And they say, Joshua, we cannot, we cannot stop serving God. He is our God. And I think we sometimes react when we are asked that question, who are you going to serve, God or your other gods? And we react just like the Israelites, looking emotionally at it and saying, you know what, I cannot do anything but serve God. But this is Joshua's uh, reaction to them in verse 19. He says to them, you are not able to serve the Lord. I mean, that seems kind of like a harsh criticism. He, he says that He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end to you after He has been good to you. He says, listen, Israelites, I've watched you. I mean, Joshua has been there the whole time as the Israelites come to the Red Sea and they see the army that is coming at them. What do they say? God, why did you bring us here to die? I mean, God has already shown them in the ten plagues of Egypt that He is a better God and a greater God than the Egyptians. And yet they already rebel. And then even as they get across the Red Sea and God has protected them and the Egyptians are no longer an issue, they come to the place where they get hungry. And they say, God, why did you bring us here to die? 
Joshua has watched every single moment. How at Mount Sinai, while Moses is up on the mountain talking to God, and there's a visible, visible representation of him through fire and clouds and smoke, there on the bottom of the mountain making an idol, a golden calf to worship. Joshua was there, one of the twelve spies, one of the two that dissented from the ten. And he was there when they had gone into the promised land and saw the land flowing with milk and honey. And they came back and Joshua is saying, let's take it. And the other spy says, they are too great of, of power. And he was there as the Israelites said, let's kill Joshua. Let's kill Moses. And let's go back. Joshua has witnessed a lot. He understands the Israelites, and he says to them, as they are claiming that they will serve God, he says, you cannot. And it's not that you're not able to, it's just you've not proven that you are able to. You've just not proven that you can stay faithful to this one God. And he says, you are not going to. And he warns them. That if you choose this day to serve God and yet in your life you do not, then destruction awaits. The same is true for us. We who have been bought by the precious blood of Christ, we have an obligation to serve God and God alone in our lives. And if we choose not to serve God, or if we choose to say, yes, we're going to serve God and then turn away from Him, here's what's happens to us. Hebrews chapter 10. He says, if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And the author of Hebrews, he is saying that if you turn away from God and you keep on sinning in your lives and you say, yes, I claim God, you're part of the people of God, the Christian nation that we are, and you turn away from that and you start sinning and you serve these other gods, there is no sacrifice that takes away your sins. Who are you going to serve? And don't just make the decision on a, on a whim or on emotion. You have to really consider your life. Who are you going to serve? Because our God is a jealous God. Our God wants all of us. And if we hold back just even a portion of who we are, it's not good. God wants all or none. That's who he is. And Joshua recognizes that the Israelites are not going to be able to do it because they have not been able to do it in the past, and he is very well aware that they will not change in the future. The very next chapter is Judges chapter 1, and in Judges chapter 2 we see that God comes to them and says, you're not obeying. Surprise, surprise, Joshua is dead, his generation is dead, and the Israelites, they turn to other gods. 
And it becomes a vicious cycle throughout the book of Judges where they constantly are turning back to God and turning away and coming back and turning away and coming back. And when you get to the kings, it's no difference. You get to the exile and it's still no difference. The Israelites could not. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. Are we going to be like Israel or are we going to serve God? The Israelites in verses 21 through 24, they go back and forth with Joshua. They say, yes, we will. Joshua says, no, you won't. Joshua, they say, yes, we will. And Joshua finally relents. And in verse uh, 25, I think, uh, it says this. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them the decrees and the laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak holy place of the Lord. And he says, see to all the people of Israel, this is the stone that will be a witness against us. It has heard all, it has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people before their own inheritance. And so this final act of Joshua is to reaffirm this covenant. All right, we, we've, we've said it before you. Here's what God has done what has your idols done? You have idols. You have God. Who are you going to serve? And they say, we will serve God. Okay, that's the covenants. The promise that you've made. That you will serve God and God alone. And here is a memorial stone to remind us of that promise. Sometimes I think we need more memorial stones in our lives. There are some that are built into the church. We take communion every single week to remind us of the sacrifice of Jesus and the precious blood and body that was broken so that we can have forgiveness. We immerse by baptism as a reminder of the unity that we have in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But I think we probably need more than that. See, these stones that they would set up, they were there so that the children would walk by with their dads and moms and say, Daddy, what's that mean? Daddy, what does this mean? It was a chance for the fathers to talk to their children and say, well, this is to remind us of the commitment that we've made to serve God. Or when they crossed the Jordan River, this is to remind us of the greatness of our God as he had dried up the river of the Jordan so that we could cross it. I think we need more memorial stones in our lives so that we can be reminded and so that our kids can sit there and remind us as well. Joshua ends that. He, the rest of the book is him dying uh, and that type of stuff and being buried. But I think I want to close with this idea. Like the people of Israel, we have a choice that we have to make in our lives. We can choose to serve God and God alone, or we can choose to serve our idols. And it's a choice you get to make. I mean, God doesn't say you have to choose this one. No, he gives them the choice. Choose who you will serve. So I think you need to choose whom you're going to serve. Will you serve God and all that he has done in your life, or are there idols that are more precious to you? You cannot serve both of them. It's God or them. Who are you going to serve today? Will you pray with me? Father God, there are many things in our lives that hold us back from serving you alone. 
And God, it's sometimes hard to, to give them up. It's sometimes hard to give up our pleasure, to give up our love for our family, to, to, to give up selfishness, to give up gluttony, to give up all these different things. And Lord, when we struggle in these areas, give us strength. Lord, help us not to be like the Israelites who are constantly turning back to the idols uh, that we have. Help us, Father, instead to be faithful to you and to you alone. Help us, Lord, to take our idols and to cast them at your feet of the cross. Help us to, to focus on the fact that you have bought us for a price. That your blood was shed so that we would be yours. Help us to be reminded of that sacrifice in our daily lives, not just on Sunday, but every other day of the week. Help us as we're at our works to be reminded that our words reflect you. Help us to be reminded at our homes that our attitudes towards our family is a reflection of you. Help us, Father, to be fully focused on what you desire in our lives. Help us to choose who we're going to serve. And Lord, help us to choose you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.